630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. And we have a touchdown. We have the first touchdown in the CFL in 620 days. Jeremiah Mazzoli to Jalen Acklin. 84-yard drive for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. They do not convert the two-point try. Hamilton leading Winnipeg 6-0 about six minutes into the opening quarter. So we are off and running in the Canadian Football League. Race walk at the Olympics, 50K bronze medal for Canada's Evan Dunphy. Yes, a 50K race walk. Canada's 19th medal of the games, ninth bronze. Dunphy, a really strong finish in that race. Uh, so he uh, he does it. He was fourth in 2016, gets the medal this time around. Canadian women's soccer team, 6 a.m. Mountain Time tomorrow as uh, they will play for gold. Pretty exciting stuff going on in Tokyo. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Elks and Red Blacks, 8 o'clock Saturday. Our coverage will start at 6 here on 6.30, Ched. Now, obviously, you know, things are a little different. I was going through some of the uh, changes because of COVID and otherwise, you know, the mobile ticketing uh, for fans going to games this year. So I ran through all that. And the, the halftime is going to look a little different as well. So uh, for the halftime on on Saturday night, I don't, I don't know if I'm supposed to. Well, I, I think I can tell people. Uh, and we and we recorded this uh, already, so it's it's going to go on the big screen at halftime. I was very lucky to be asked to host kind of a hot stove, a little panel discussion with some Double uh, E alum. Uh, one of them was uh, former long snapper Ryan King, who recently announced his retirement. And uh, the Giz was there, Henry Williams, and my next guest, also part of this panel the all-time leader in games played in green and gold, former offensive lineman Rod Conop is on the line. Rod, thanks a lot for checking in tonight. Uh, I got to admit, as as much as I love you and Ryan King and I feel confident in my own speaking abilities, when you do a panel with Henry the Gizmo Williams, it tends to become his panel. And I don't have a problem with that because he's a great talker with with a great source. But I think people are going to see, he, when that gets played Saturday night, to me, the Giz was the star of that show. Oh, absolutely. But that's why you need somebody like me if you want to know how much of it was real and how much was made up. You just ask me. I can... I... <laughs> <laughs> there, there is a give there is a give factor in everything that he's got to talk about you know <laughs> so uh when you first got to know giz what is the process of getting to know the giz like when, when he was your teammate uh back uh, i guess what probably late 80s you guys would have first met each other well i i met henry uh his very first game in the cfl um there was a time there where uh um, I guess I'd played every game that Henry had ever played. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I'd never heard of Henry. Uh, there was no history of him when he uh, came to the CFL that, that he was going to be this special player. But it didn't take long to recognize that, oh, oh my goodness, what do we got here? This is, this is unbelievable. Uh, and we could see what he could do on the field. And then... His presence in the locker room uh, was instantaneous. It was almost as if he had been there. He'd, he was a 10-year vet uh, instantly. Um, but it, there was a feeling out period because you you had to figure this guy out. And uh, one guy, I'll, uh, uh, there's one story. Um, 
Hector Pache thought it would be a great idea to bear hug Henry one time uh, in the locker room. Came in behind him, and Henry was cutting the spats off his ankle or something. It was in his first year, and, you know, we didn't know Henry yet. And uh, Hector comes in behind, 320 pounds of Hector, just grabbed Henry in a bear hug. And two seconds later, uh, Henry had broke free. Had basically, Hector was grasping at air, like on both knees on the ground, just been sort of tossed aside. Went, holy smokes, that guy is like, I, I don't know what Henry weighed. But if he weighed 195 pounds, he was 196 pounds of muscle. He was just a walking, talking muscle. It was uh, very uh, impressive. Well, and he still looks like he could play, quite frankly. He is a personal trainer. He's in great shape. And, and I want you to speak to that, too, because the people who saw Giz play know how electrifying he was. He, he was incredibly fast. Certainly there's some God-given talent there. Uh, and he and he has such a like we were saying an outgoing personality that he can kind of enter a group of people and and very smoothly become the, the center of attention. But can you speak to to the work ethic and the commitment behind the scenes that that people you know wouldn't have seen on the highlight reel? Um, yeah, and 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 you know I, I probably didn't appreciate it at the time uh, that I was playing as much as I did later. Um, it's not an accident that Henry's, you know, uh, he's got to be close to 60 years old and looks like he could still play. Uh, he is as fit as, as anybody would want to be right now, right today. I do remember being in the weight room with him one time at a gym out in the West End in the off season. And, uh, he and I were working out there at the same time and, and uh, we we're sort of uh, putting ourselves through our paces. We weren't working out together. We just happened to be at the same time. And I, and I remember Henry was doing bench, and he had three plates on, so 315, and it rolled off his wrist. Like, he didn't. He had an open grip. He didn't wrap his thumb around the bar, and it fell on his chest. 315 pounds fell probably 18 inches, 20 inches off of his wrist, Bounced in his chest, he sort of caught it, and then just finished his rep right back up. And and he grunted and screamed for a second, and then finished with that. And I I, I thought because I was right there, and I went, oh, well, he just bounced 315 pounds off his chest and didn't miss a beat. Um, he he was a, a workaholic, uh, and and I, as I said, I I I, I kind of thought I was in that same boat. I just worried about myself. I got to stay in shape. I was terrified each game of not being strong enough, not being big enough, not being fast enough, whatever. Uh, but Henry took it to a whole other level, and and I didn't I didn't really know about it until or really recognize it to the extent. I just thought he had this God given uh, um, uh, talent uh, physically, and uh, and now it's uh, you know it's many it's thirty years later, I guess, or twenty five years later. And you can see what, uh, when you see Henry, you just shake your head and go, really? Like, what is he, a 25-year-old? He's absolutely fit. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, fans are going to enjoy, uh, you know, him and, and you and Ryan up on the big screen during halftime on Saturday. Uh, you know, I want to, and look, I, I mentioned you're the all-time franchise leader in games played. You played 274 games. I mean, you just made a comment along the lines of that you were just always trying to, 
be in shape to play one more game, one more game. And, and you did that. You did the first one, and then you got one more game 273 more times. And I don't think that includes the playoff games you would have been in as well. Um, no, it's over, it's it's over 300 with the, with the playoff games. But the, the funny thing, sometimes I, I, I'm proud of that. Other times when I don't remember uh, where I put my car keys, I go, uh-oh, I played too many games. Did, did you suffer some damage as a result, like the, with, with well, concussions I mean, or anything? It, 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 I, I say that uh, you know facetiously, I guess. I, I, I I'm, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's uh, any football players in uh, former football players in day, day and age that don't don't think a little bit in the back of their head, one, you know, wonder about the wear and tear, not just not just on the joints, on the knees and the hips and all that, but but on the brain as well. And uh, we're all, I think, more cognizant of that uh, today than we were a, a couple of decades ago. And uh, and so, yeah, I played more games than anybody. It, what 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 isn't in there is how many exhibition games I played as well, and how many times, uh, how how many minutes I put in in those exhibition games. Because as I was saying the other day, they wanted the first O line in there so they could evaluate quarterbacks and receivers who needed time to be able to execute. So get in there, uh, you know that kind of thing. Um, and then lots of, uh, I think, um, a season and a half of playoff games added in there. There was 30, 30 playoff games in there as well. So. So I mean, so what? So and I mean, like, what? What kept you going? Were you ever close to retiring a year or two before you did, and then you thought, ah, I, I like, what was that? Your part of the journey, like, try to retire twice uh, before I did. Uh, Ronnie Lancaster wouldn't let me. <laughs> <laughs> I went in. I went in two years before I retired. I went in the year before I retired. Each time, and you know, I was torn on the whole thing, uh, obviously, because it wasn't hard to talk me out of it. I guess uh, it, it was what I've been doing for quite some time. So, um, but it's, uh, it, you know, I, what was it? Ken Dryden's book. Uh, I can't remember what it was called, but uh, basically, where he he made the point that an athlete goes through a lifetime in a in an athletic career from being the young up and comer, you know, young uh, got the world's your oyster to uh, to being a has been potentially, and that all happens within a very compressed time frame. And um, and what you notice is we had a great ride during the time I was uh, at, at, on the team. We won a lot of games. We never had a losing season. I'm not saying that had anything to do with me. We had a great team at, that stayed together, lots of consistency. And as I got down to my last three, four years, guys that I played with for 10 years were gone. They came after me and now they were gone before me. And I was looking around like Larry Rock was gone. Blake Dermott was gone. Uh, Hector had been gone for a number of years. Um, lots of, lots. And I looked around the room and went, boy, uh, I'm not only good, good teammates. I don't know them, but uh, they're also a decade younger than me. And, and you start, you still can play the game. You start to feel uh, maybe this is their room, not my room anymore. Yeah, interesting way to put it. Rod Connop joining us tonight on Inside Sports as Winnipeg connects here for a touchdown late in the first quarter. Uh, Zach Kalaros uh, rolling out, scrambling a bit, and launching it into the end zone. I can't quite. I got to be honest with you, Rod. I can't quite see who got the touchdown. But my, my eyesight is not what it used to be. But it's a touchdown for Winnipeg to tie it six six. So 
I, I gotta, I gotta bring this up because I, I like, I, I like talking to ex players because you get different perspective, and a lot of you guys are a little more open on experiences in your career after the fact than you might have been while you were going through it. Or you can say, well, you know, this is probably what this guy is feeling right now. I, I don't know if there is a comparable for you and players of your generation for what it feels like going into the game on Saturday, uh, like almost two years between games. I mean, can you try to try to put yourself in those cleats and think like, how would you be feeling after losing a season and now you're getting back at it? Well, I, I would think that every athlete, every, every, every player that's going out there uh, knows that this is what they want to be doing because um, there, there are a lot of players that aren't back. Uh, there was a lot of retirements. I think, I, I almost think that there might be a time where a, a bunch of players that played a couple of years ago will say it was a blessing in disguise. It, it, it prompted me to start the next phase of my life because football or any athletic endeavor isn't a forever uh, effort. It's not going to last forever. That's not the way it works. And yet, and and at least in the CFL, I mean, if we all played MLB or or NFL or or something else, we might make enough money uh, that to be financially set forever. But the CFL reality is that you ha- are going to have to have a second career. So there might be some uh, there there might be some of that that uh, is is apparent in a in a few years, maybe not right now. That some some of the people that didn't come back, they'll say, well, that it kind of turned out for me okay. I, I, I'm doing really well in my second career now, and it just kind of pushed me to, I'd better make a decision, and I'm going to leave now. For anybody who's going to be out in that field, I'm guessing they thought the same things, or, or they're just so young, they're just ready to just have their the start of their uh, football career. But everyone else, I would think, is going to be highly motivated and just loving every minute of it. It'll 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 feel pretty special, I I suspect, and especially if we get some a really nice evening and all of that. It'll I hope the stadium fills up as best as it's able. I'm not I don't think there's any rules, but maybe there is on pandemic rules. I mean, but I, no, there's I, no there's no cap on attendance or anything yeah. like that. So yeah, yeah. people can yeah. go. So it, it it it's going to be a special evening for sure. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll ask you one more. Uh, and thanks a lot for coming out. We're gonna have to see. I'm, I'm gonna bug you again, Rod, because we're having such a good time. Biggest, uh, is there a biggest difference between playing O line in uh, your era and you played until 1997 and what guys have to do on the O line now, or is it fundamentally the you know the same job, or, or do you think there's been an evolution? Well, there's only so many things that can happen on the football field, uh, and it is cyclical. Uh, so offenses lead, defenses uh, react, adjust, and then offenses have to change again. And that's, you know, you can have a run-oriented sort of league that because all of a sudden everybody figures out how to defend against the pass. They, uh, you, you now figure out how to run the ball, Teams have to maybe pull that six DB out, put a more traditional linebacker in, more traditional D lineman to stop the run, and now you go back to the pass. Those things don't happen necessarily in a game or even in a season, uh, but they happen over a, a multi-year sort of cycle. But there's only so many things. Uh, there's you know there's only so many ways to run the ball, to pass the ball. There is innovation, of course, but 
Um, so when you come to the offensive line, um, I guess I don't really know where they are in that cycle right now. I, 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 I should pay closer attention to that. But the, the biggest difference is just the size difference. So we, we would have 300-pounders uh, when I played. Uh, probably every team had a couple of them. Uh, now I don't think there's any O-linemen that are less than 300 pounds. And um, <clears throat> I don't know whether uh, the, uh, the, the run-blocking ability or the pass-blocking ability uh, has, has matched size. I think probably they're bigger, better athletes. I don't know. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't looked at it that closely, but that most obvious thing is the size of the offensive line is just larger than it was. Uh, it, 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 it probably grew by an average weight of 30 pounds during my career, uh, during the time that from the start of my career to the end of my career. And I would say it's probably done that again in the last 20 years. Well, I, I've heard stories that the uh, average weight of the double E offensive line could grow by 30 pounds after a visit to the Italian center on lunch break from practice, but maybe that's a story for another day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that, uh, uh we had a, a go-to was either uh, Spinelli's, uh, and, uh, and then there used to be a place called Seppas, uh, just real close, uh, both in close proximity to the stadium and Seppas was just great pasta there. That was Ralph Menno and, and his wife, Bonnie. And oh, if, that was an everyday thing for a bunch of us. Uh, Italian tenor was great. I, uh, <clears throat> Frank, uh, he was the founder of that, uh, took me back one time when I was on my way from work to my football job. Uh, he says, come on back and talk to me. And he pours the homemade wine in a glass that never empties because he just keeps pouring. Well, I'm going to practice. <laughs> I don't want to be rude, though. Uh, he's, this is Frank Spinelli offering me uh, uh, a... Uh, an opportunity to sit in that little room in the back and talk football and he's pouring wine. And I'm finally, I had to say no more. I got practice. He's like, oh, you should have told me you got practice. What are you doing? Drinking wine. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I'm sure you were sharp that day. I'm sure you were sharp. You obviously oh, didn't yeah, miss the game on the weekend. <laughs> yeah. You, you can start every practice with a nap. Uh, with the Rod, uh, this was a blast. Thanks for making time to come on. It was fun doing the panel yesterday with you and Giz and Ryan King. That'll be at halftime on Saturday. People will see what we got up to with that. Hey, thanks for checking in. Let's do this again soon. No no problem. Anytime. Thank you. That is uh, Rod Conop with a wide-ranging interview with some career memories and thoughts on today's offensive linemen. And I I did not know that. Mr. Spinelli. Got, got him a little tipsy for practice one day. <laughs> That's awesome. It's uh, 7.24. It's 7-6 Winnipeg. It was Kenny Lawler with the touchdown during the last minute of the first quarter. This is Inside Sports on Chet. It was a great chat with uh, Rod Connup, the all-time leader in games played for the uh, green and gold. And like he was saying, when you factor in playoffs and preseason games, well over 300 for uh, Rod Connup. You'll see, uh, if you haven't seen pictures on social media already, you'll see on TV or at the game on Saturday, the uh, the Wall of Honor plaques have been uh, redone and look really sharp at Commonwealth Stadium. And uh, you can check my Twitter account as well. I retweeted a, a picture from uh, Evan Dom, the new uh, media relations dude for the Elks of the new runout tunnel, the Elks 
run out tunnel with the uh, surrounded by antlers that they're going to use for the uh, player intros when they come onto the field Saturday night. All really cool. 7-6 Winnipeg leading Hamilton into the first quarter in the CFL opener. And uh, don't forget, 6 o'clock countdown to kickoff here on 6.30 Chad Saturday night game at 8 between Edmonton and Ottawa. We got uh, more special guests. Uh, another Edmontonian going to the Paralympics. Great story coming up after the 7.30 news. medal for Canada tonight in case you missed it 50k race walk Evan Dunphy of Richmond BC getting it done exciting finish for him he gets the bronze CFL tonight Jeremiah Mazzoli has just thrown an interception Winnipeg takes over they have a 7-6 lead both teams with a touchdown but Hamilton missed their two-point convert attempt as it's Willie Jefferson with the interception for the Blue Bombers and then tackled by Brandon Banks and uh yeah blue jays win three nothing over cleveland so that's what's going on up to the minute thanks a lot for tuning in tonight inside sports on 6 30 ched we're going to go to our hotline here presented by certain professional grade building materials a very special guest an edmontonian who will be heading to the paralympics in tokyo it is brianne balduck on the line brianne how are you doing i'm good thanks for having me so much today reed yeah, it's nice to talk to you. Thanks for making time to come on the show. Now, you are a competitor in goalball, and now I, I'm going to read the description that, that I, I was given, but then I, I, you're going to be the expert here, obviously, who can expand on this. Goalball is a team sport designed specifically for athletes with a vision impairment. So before we get into the sport, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what led to your involvement in goalball? Yeah, so I actually have ocular cutaneous albinism. Um, It's a genetic condition, and it actually has left me visually impaired. Um, So I see about 10% on a good day. uh, Normally, it's 8%, so. Okay, well, first of all, uh, credit, uh, I'm glad you said that. Uh, Should I try it? Ocular cutaneous albinism? Did I get oh, it? You almost had it. It's ocular cutaneous <laughs> albinism. <laughs> okay. All right. And then, so you've had this since birth then? Yeah. So it actually affects the skin, hair, and eyes. So I'm extremely pale. Um, my hair is supposed to be right, but white, but I actually have a kind of a cool, a cool condition of it. I have red hair, which is kind of rare for albinism. So... Okay, so so that's uh, obviously led to you becoming in, involved in goalball. So uh, you, I, know, I know we talked briefly earlier that you're 25. Is that how old you are now? Yes, 25. So, uh, you know, obviously uh, you were, were born that way, but I'm sure you wanted to be athletic. Like, how did this affect you participating as, as a kid or being able to do stuff with your friends or family members? Tell us about that part of your life. 
Yeah, so we actually, I grew up pretty active. So I played soccer and basketball um, growing up and loved it. I was actually really good at basketball because I could hear when the ball was was hitting the floor and the hand of the person. So I was really good at stealing the ball from my competitors. So that was really, that was really exciting. Um, and yeah, I basically just grew up super active. My parents just raised me to try everything. And if it didn't work out, didn't work out. There was a few times I got I got hurt, you know, a couple of baseballs to the knee and to the to the ankle and things like that. But um, yeah, I played with my brother lots. We played. I helped him a lot with his sports. He was a soccer goalie and a goalie for, or sorry, a defenseman for ball hockey. So he, I was his goalie at one point, which caused a couple broken noses and things because he wasn't telling me that there's wrist shotters. But you know, I just learned to take it and you know just. Um, yeah, I just tried everything, and I was really active and always loved playing sports. So, Well, it sounds like you have an awesome attitude. You're very tough, and you're very you're very brave. And I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm really impressed because you just said you kind of have about 10% vision, yet you're stealing the ball in basketball and playing goal uh, against your brother. So, so and again, Brianne, I, 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 I hope I'm not asking you know, stupid or ignorant questions and please tell me if I am or if I'm using incorrect terminology or anything, but I, but I do want to tell your story. So do you always, do you always go by sound Can or could you, like if you're stopping your brother's shot, could you see enough of the puck to kind of make a save? How does it work? Um, I used a lot of sound, yes, but mostly I tried to I tried to use the little vision I had with color. So, for instance, if I was playing um, badminton in in gym, for instance, I would always have a the bad the birdie would be spray painted so I could see it a little bit better. Because um, for me, my vision works a lot better with contrast. So. Yeah, I used a lot of, I tried to use a lot of different colors um, and things like that. But yeah, mostly sound. Um, for hockey, for instance, I could hear when the stick was hitting the floor. And I could kind of know that the ball was going to come to me. But again, it was kind of a, a chance that I would get it. Like, it was pretty, it was pretty crazy. Okay, that's, uh, that's awesome. So how did you get into goalball? When did that part of your life start? So I was 16 when I first got involved. Um, shout out to the Alberta Sports and Recreation Association for the Blind, um, ASRAB. They are the ones who got goalball started for me completely, and they're the reason why I'm I'm going to the Paralympics soon. So they actually did a triad event, and um, some of my mentors, Carrie, An- Carrie Anton and Vivian Foray, they really, really stressed me coming out to this triad event. And... I tried goalball when I was, I want to say I was seven. Um, they came out to, Azrab came up to my gym, my gym class in elementary school. And I tried it for the first time there. And I was not a fan, did not like the idea of throwing myself in front of a ball. But when I tried it when I was 16 again, it was with the adult program with Azrab. And again, I was a little bit kind of freaked out because it was ad- adults and, you know, getting hit by this big goal ball but um i fell in love with it the second i tried it again and i just was really stuck to it so 
You know, you're an absolute pro doing these interviews. I don't know how many you've done, but I was going to ask you who some of your mentors and influences are, and you just rattled them off in that last answer. So you're anticipating what I'm going to ask. No, that's that's perfect. That's really good. So how would you describe goalball to people who have not seen it? And and other than very limited uh, things I, I, I kind of have looked up, I, I include myself in that. So please describe goalball to fans tonight. Yeah, so basically it's it, it looks very very quick pace it's it's a very fast sport um and it's pretty crazy to think that people who are completely blinded can react to that ball it's almost like can they actually not see it's pretty crazy um and i would say when you when you when you look at it the main thing is is just think of it as every all the three players are acting like a goalie together it's cohesive the whole team is being the defense and the whole team is also the offense as well so um the trick is with goalball is to try to trick your team your opponent sorry to not being able to hear the ball so there's a lot of movement happening which is why i mentioned that sometimes it's hard for the people to think to actually believe that we're blinded because Okay, well, how, are, how does she know where she's on the court? And it's all about the feel on the net and the, the tactile markings on the ground. Um, so that's kind of, and also communications with our teammates as well. So it's pretty crazy to watch and it's really cool to, to, to see. And I know it kind of is, for my family, I know it's kind of a pin, pin in, the, in the needle aspect of, oh my gosh, that's close to getting in. Is that, are, how are they going to save that kind of thing? So it's very exciting. Okay, and it's on a volleyball court, basically? Is that the dimensions? Yeah, 9 by 18 meters. Okay. Okay, so, well, yeah, that, that sounds really cool. So uh, how did you get on the Paralympic team? Did, were, there, were there, I assume there were some sort of trials. Like, what's the process? Yeah, so you have to, you have to be on the, in the national pool to be able to be selected in general for the team. Um, so basically, we all just have been fighting for the spot for the whole for the whole year so it's been a grind <laughs> of going to um, different training opportunities and things like that and um, showing our workouts and our speed of shot and things like that and basically um, yeah we just we all fought for the spot and it's it's been a, a year in making and obviously it's throughout your entire career so the four-year quad is considered throughout your whole throughout the selection process essentially okay when, when do you leave for tokyo and when do you start playing in the paralympics um our first game is actually august 25th against russia and we leave actually on monday so oh awesome okay well we got you we got you just in time and uh, well brianne you're you're a great story this is a great story i mean i can tell you got a, a lot of energy and you're so committed and uh I, i'm gonna guess you're a very intense player if it's anything like how you handled this interview so <laughs> So I want to wish you all the best, and I hope we're talking to you in a few weeks when you bring a medal back. Thank you so much, Reed. That is Brianne Balduck checking in tonight from Edmonton and a member of the Canadian Paralympic goalball team. Wow, what a story. What a, what a lot of energy. Just uh, an absolute privilege to talk to her. It's Inside Sports on Chet.
Chris at the ranch, the GM and executive golf pro. Our buddy Murray McCourt is on the line. Murray, how's it? How are things? How are things at the ranch? Well, hard to complain. How about you? What's going on in the radio world? All good? <laughs> uh, yeah, things are things are great here. Man, oh man, it's been a, an interesting summer here with uh, with the heat, um, but uh, a lot of time for people to golf with all the daylight and not a lot of rain. Uh, how, has it been pretty busy for you? Oh yeah, for sure. Like the, the ranch, we, we were packed before COVID. We're the busiest tournament course in the, in the province, and but tournament stopped with COVID. Then uh, COVID happened. We were packed every single day with uh, with COVID, through COVID as uh, golf became the thing to do. And you know now that uh, you know, I mean even though COVID's kind of rising again right now, but uh, uh, golf is still pretty popular. But tournaments are back in in the game and. Oh boy, are we heavily booked through August and September with corporate events and my phone's ringing off the hook every day with more people looking to book more tournaments and just don't have space for everybody. But it is what it is. It's uh, It's been a good run. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. Okay, I I, I want to ask you stuff. I mean, you're you're a, you're a golf pro, so you're obviously an exceptional golfer. And don't give me that like, oh, I'm not that good. Like you're you're better than pretty much everybody. Uh, I, I want to ask you about putting. Because, you know, you can save for, you know, guys like me who, you know, aren't that good, but we like playing. I, I find I can save so many strokes on a round with, you know, maybe a, a series of good putts. If somebody's playing, you know, once or twice a week or even three times a week, but maybe they're playing different courses or they're trying to find that feel. When they kind of have that medium length putt where, you know, they could make it, but it's kind of tough. Like, what should they be thinking? Do you, do you think about making it? Do you think about just getting it close? Like, how do you, how should the average golfer approach those? Well, my, I guess my biggest answer to that is how flat is the putt? If the, if the putt's pretty flat in a medium length, you should probably be thinking about trying to make it. But if the, if there's a lot of break to it, then it's just trying to get it close. And, and the biggest thing is trying to figure out how to read the green properly so you know how much it's going to break. And and if you can figure out how to read greens properly, that'll help you a lot. But for sure, the flatter the putt is, as you move further out, uh, you're thinking about making it. But, boy, if there's some movement in the in the putt, no, you're not. You just want to get the right weight and try to get it close enough to the hole that maybe your buddies will give it to you. Right. So how should you read a green? Because I struggle with that sometimes, too. I'll hit a putt, and maybe I thought it was flat, or I thought it went one way, and then it gets close to the hole and, and goes the other way. Am I not taking in enough information about the terrain? What should I be doing? Well, you know, I, I feel like, you know, you talked about me in golf, and sure, I play pretty well, but I've always felt that I was not a very good putter, and especially not great at reading the greens. And then this summer, I actually took an aim point putting course. Uh, so aim point is teaching you how to read greens with your feet. And it was spectacular. And I'm making more putts than I've made in years and years and years right now through aim point. And, you know, it was spectacular because they, they teach you in aim point. Uh, there's hardly anybody that teaches it. Paul Horton from, uh, from Calgary is the, uh, is really the only guy in Alberta that I think teaches it that's qualified to teach it. And, and uh, it, you know, he, he explained and showed things where if you read things with your eyes, it's tricky. Your eyes aren't uh, necessarily as, as good at reading greens as it, everyone thinks they are, and your feet are better. And and so the process of aim point, and you can Google it and see what it's all about, and 
try to figure it out. But if you can get in a name point class and, and learn about it, it's uh, it's a game changer to, to figure out how to read greens with your feet. So is it actually walking the line of the putt or is this where we see some pros kind of straddling the line of their putt and thinking about it yeah it's straddling the line of your putt and you're trying to figure out how many degrees of break there is in the putt with your feet and so i practice it now i have a have a uh, a level that's electronic so i'll put it down between my feet on a green and uh and guess myself what i think it is and i'll look down at the at the level and see what it really is and see how close I come as part of my practice for learning how to read greens with my my feet and uh, then there's another little system after you figure out how many degrees it is you measure it with your fingers you see guys standing up there with their one or two or three or four fingers up uh, and uh, reading it uh, from there but uh, pretty hard to explain over a over a phone but uh, yeah it's a combination of reading with your feet and then once you get that sorted out you measure it with your fingers and uh, that tells you where to putt and it, it works it's good yeah well the, the feet thing makes sense i think i can get enough of a visual off of that maybe i'll just try that part of it and see if i can improve a little bit murray it, it's always great to have you on the show uh let people know how they can book a round or a tournament or find out more about the ranch if they're interested well, the easiest way to book a tee time is through our website, www.theranchgolf.com. If you want to book an event, you got to talk to me over the phone, uh, 780-470-4700, and hit my extension, and uh, we can see what we can do to get you booked in. All right. Murray, uh, hopefully see you soon. Uh, thanks uh, for coming on. Hope you're having a great summer. Always love talking golf with you, buddy. Take care. All right. You as well. That is Murray McCourt, GM, Executive Golf Pro, the Ranch Golf and Country Club, joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Maybe, maybe what he told you, you think about that, you can make an extra putt or two the next time you play. All right, well, the music means I got to go. Adler's coming up. Canada got a bronze. Evan Dunphy in the race walk, 50K. Spectacular finish by him. Tomorrow we got more on the Elks getting ready for Saturday's game. Winnipeg still leading Hamilton 7-6. Three minutes left in the first half of that one. Thanks to Dave Campbell. He's the producer of Inside Sports. Kellen Kennedy is your studio operator. My name's Reed. Have a good night. Six thirty, Chad. Inside sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.